We're jumping into um, part two of a series we started last week called Abide. And we started this series, and the purpose of this is to, to walk through one of Jesus' very important teachings in the Gospel of John, John chapter 15. And uh, we read it last week. We're going to read it every Sunday together a little bit slower, reflectively, so we can just take that in as well and not just learn stuff, but allow the scriptures to speak to us. And in that passage that we started last week, Jesus paints this amazing picture of uh, what it means to be in relationship with him. And the, the picture he paints is the picture of a vine and branches, and then the fruit that those branches produce connected to the vine. And he paints the picture as himself as the vine, as his followers, disciples, uh, Christ followers, as the branches, and then the fruit, the life that then comes out of, um, of his Christ followers. And last week, we just started focusing on the simple invitation that Jesus had in verse 4 of chapter 15, which may, basically said, remain in me as I remain in you. Or some versions, abide in me as I abide in you. And this promise that if we abide in Christ, we will bear much fruit. We will have a fruitful life. And the, the phrase we, we hovered around last week was this. Unless we abide, we'll never... I think it's on the screen. You guys can say unless we abide, <laughs> Unless we abide, we'll never thrive. And we ended with this question last week because... That's great to think about, but we ended with this question, which is so vital. How big is your view of Jesus? Jesus invites us to abide in him. And so that really forces us to think about how big Jesus is. We had this image last week. It was on the screen, and it's up now. It's this large circle with a little circle in the middle of it. And the, the, the image is to help us understand that, that we don't just invite Jesus into our life. We do do that. But then as we get to know Jesus, we understand this call that he has on us to be in him, to live in him, to make our home in him. And, and we ended last week trying to differentiate the difference between accepting Jesus in your heart, which is a phrase that has been around churches for a while, to what it means to abide in Christ. So someone can accept Jesus into their heart, start a relationship with him, learn to trust him, and sometimes Sometimes it could be limited to, Jesus, rescue me from this, rescue me from that, fix this, um, heal this, change this. In other words, Jesus, save me. And Jesus is a savior, and he loves to rescue people who call out to him, and especially when we recognize our need for him. But too often we stop there. And so accepting Jesus in your heart or your life can sometimes feel like Jesus is this influence we're just allowing in uh, into our life while we remain the bigger circle. But as we get into John 15, what we started to realize is Jesus is the bigger circle, and he invites us to abide in him. And you don't just acknowledge him then as Savior, but then you realize, oh, he's Lord. And when we call him Lord, we realize that when he says, abide in me, we are giving him the right to claim priority on our lives. And so as we, we ended that way last week, and I want to, just with that thought in mind, let's read John 15 again and, uh, and walk through this, uh, this text again. So John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. 
No branch can bear fruit by itself, and it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, just as we move forward, the next few verses are really key for today. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Let's just pray. Father, um, we're so grateful what you've already been doing in our hearts this morning as we've worshipped you and just sensed your sweet presence here and you awakening us to the beautiful reality of who you are. We even longed as we sang to, to just to see your beauty as uh, we dwell in your presence. And God, as we uh, continue to walk through this text today, would you grab a hold of our hearts, speak to us, even beyond any of the words I say, God, maybe just around in this room, even myself, maybe we just need something so particular from you, and we just ask that you'd open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear you and respond. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Some of you know I'm a, I'm a twin, and I have a twin brother named Jonathan, and, and we're both musicians. He's gone beyond me in being a musician. We, we both started off playing piano. Then in high school, we took brass instruments. I played the saxophone. He took the trumpet. And I kept going with the saxophone and, and on and on and went to college and things like that. But my brother realized, even though he was, had a great ear and he was a great musician, his lips just weren't fit for the trumpet. And he just had to be like, well, it's not going to work. He just couldn't get the notes he wanted to, even though they were in his head and he was able to play them. And there were certain things that he just was frustrated by. He, he became better than average, but not as good as he wanted to be. And, and um, one day, there was someone, I think at our local church back then, uh, was a young guy and he was playing the bass, you know, and he was selling his bass. So my brother bought this uh, older $60 white bass from this young guy in the church. Never played before, my brother. And uh, so he picked this up, and he just got so immersed into this instrument. If you would have seen what he did to this first bass, took it apart, put it back together, painted it, all kinds of stuff, changed the strings tons of times. And, and if you would have seen my brother, from that moment he picked up the $60 bass to about a year or two later, we drove to some apartment in St. Laurent, he picked up a really good bass, a $1,200 bass. We picked it up for 600 bucks, And on and on, these are literally uh, a little bit of his bass is now in his room, and he probably has 12 stringed instruments in his office at home. And since then, from that moment, he immersed himself into not only the instrument, 
but the bottom staff of music. If you know music, there's a treble clef and there's the bass clef, and the bass clef has the lower notes, and often the bottom note of a tune is the, is the root of everything of that chord. And so my brother did not just immerse himself into the instrument. He immersed himself into the bass clef of music and the root notes of every chord. And he, you would see him sitting in his room with earphones on and just you know, mimicking and copying uh, solos and all that kind of stuff. When I think about what he did, he aligned himself with his instrument. He aligned himself with that part of the musical staff, that bass part of the musical staff, and he just thrived as a musician. His ear continued to grow and develop. You know, and I think about that as I think about John 15, because Jesus, he unpacks this invitation to his followers, and he says, come and abide in me. And he clarifies that what that means over the course of these 17 verses. But he says something really interesting that might throw us off in verse 10 that might not feel like abiding, especially when we sing a song like we did this morning, which is also abiding, just dwelling in God's presence. In verse 10 he says, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. And so there's this shift in language in these verses. He talk, first he talks about remaining in me, and in this verse he talks about remaining in my love. Essentially the same thing. If you're in Christ, you're in his love. But he brings out this part, this aspect of understanding who he is and what it means to be in him, which is to be in his love. The scriptures tell us God is love. And so here's this idea. To abide in Christ will require something of us. It will require this kind of surrendering when it comes to abiding. If you've just, you know, you're tired and you want to plan a vacation and you choose some resort, and you go to the resort, and, and you just you realize you got to surrender yourself to the rhythm of the resort. Kind of check the schedule, check the eating times, what are the activities, where are the excursions. You, you don't do really much of that yourself. You just you figure it all out, and you surrender yourself to the rhythm of that. If you want to have fun, if you want to relax, if you want to enjoy the restaurants on the resort or the activities or the excursions, you go with the flow of the resort. Otherwise, you just don't go, or you go to the resort across the street, right? It, you wouldn't get the fullness of it unless you kind of surrender to what's going on. That happens when you join a team. The best way to grow in a team and the best way for the team to grow is that when you join the team, you surrender yourself to the weekly rhythm, to the routine, to the practices, uh, to the mindset, to the cheers, to the, to the ambitions of that team. And if you fight against that, you just might as well say, well, why join the team? If you want to grow with that team and you want to grow as an athlete, or even if it's a business team, you, sur- you partly yourself, you say, you know what, I'm going to align myself with the strategy and the goals and the purpose of this group. And so when you think about abiding, I want you to just think about this. And here's a phrase for this week. Abiding means aligning. Abiding means aligning. Unless we abide, we'll never thrive. But part of what it means to abide means to align ourselves. And here's Jesus. He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. If you align yourself with who I am and my teaching and the life I'm teaching you, you will remain in my love. So abiding is aligning because aligning is immersing yourself into a new life because you know that it's better. And so when you, when you put yourself in there, surrender to that, 
you grow. And the purpose is not conformity, just to follow some regimented exercise or just to follow some regimented schedule. That's not, that's not the idea. The idea is this immersion into this new life that you've discovered as Jesus invites you into that because you know it's so much better. And that's why Jesus says, he says these words just the verse after. He says, I told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So this immersion doesn't come without a beautiful reward, which is joy. You know, it's funny. Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he doesn't do himself. Jesus says right after that, he said, I've done the same thing with my father. I keep his commands and therefore remain in his love. I've kept my father's commands and have remained in his love. That's so amazing that Jesus does the same thing. He is so enamored with the Father. He's so enamored with, with God's presence and purposes. And he's part, in, just, just wrapped up into that, that he says, I've, I keep my Father's commands and I remain in his love. And that's what he invites us to do with him. But if you're honest, probably thinking like that word alignment rubs me wrong. Who likes that word? I mean, only car, car wheels get aligned, right? Like, I'm not a wheel to a car, that needs to be aligned to something. And alignment feels strange. I mean, our culture doesn't like words like that. And culture doesn't like words like obedience or surrender or relinquishing who you are to something bigger. I mean, if you're honest, it's not in our culture that kind of rubs us the wrong way. Maybe it's even rubbing you the wrong way right now as you read it. I want you to come back to this bigger circle picture, right? This bigger circle and this little circle. Jesus says, come, I invite you to abide in me as I abide in you. But Jesus has come, and then we realize how big Jesus is, how immense Jesus is. And when we see that image that he is the larger circle, then we really got to ask ourselves this question. Do we really want to abide in Christ? And if we do, then we got to ask another question. Do I trust Jesus? Like when Jesus tells me something or when I read something from the Gospels or when he invites me into this kind of life or he challenges maybe a way of thinking that I have, do I really trust him that his way is best, that this life is better? It's important questions. How big is Jesus and do you trust him? But here's a simple, simple phrase. Keep my commands and you'll remain in my love. So how do we do that? Here's one simple way, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. We could just say this, learn his commands and live his commands. Like walk through the Gospels, walk through Matthew chapter 5 to 7 or Luke chapter 6 or, or, or Matthew 25 or, or different parts, even in, even in John chapter 13 to 18 in the, in the text that we're reading today. And you can go and you can read Jesus' words and you can learn his commands and what he's inviting you to. And as you learn them, then there's this shift that takes place and says, okay, I'm going to live them now. When Jesus says keep his commands, he's saying learn, learn what I'm giving you and then live it out. And then how we do that is we trust Jesus. Because when we read in Matthew chapter 5 that he says, um, you know, don't hate your enemies, love them, bless them, don't let anger creep up in your heart, do we trust him that that's the best way to live? As we learn his commands and then choose to live them out, we only live them out because we trust him and say, oh, Jesus, you've got something bigger on me. I think, that, I think you know what you're talking about, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to live this way. So you learn them and you live them out. John Orberg describes abiding this way. It's on the screen. He says it's really simple. Invite Jesus into every moment of your life. Invite Jesus into every moment of your life, every moment of your day. And by invitation, Jesus then leads you and leads me 
as you keep in step with him, as you live out his commands. And here's, here's the amazing promise. When you align to his way, then you experience his life. When I align to the way of Jesus, this invitation to abide in him, that's when I experience his life. And if you align, then you understand the depths of abiding. I don't think you can have it any other way. I don't think I, I, don't think I personally can grow deeper into Jesus and that I can't live in him in a deeper way without really saying, Jesus, I trust you and I'm going to I'm going to align myself with you. I'm going to orient my life towards you. Aligning grows my abiding. But I, I love what Jesus does next, and this is, this is really cool. Because some of us will say, well, what's the list? What, what do I do? And what things do I follow? Jesus says, keep my commands. Is there 10 of them? Is there 100 of them? Is there 50? Is there 613, like in the Old Testament law? What is it? And Jesus simplifies and creates this umbrella to what this means. And in the first part, he says, keep my commands. But then as he, go on, as he goes on, he says this, here's my command. And just from plural to singular. Keep my commands. But then as he goes on, he says, well, this is my command. And this is his command. Love each other as I have loved you. Man, doesn't, that seems too simple. Like all these things, I mean, Jesus, like there's four gospels full of stuff that I can learn from you and understand, and they're important. But then Jesus here says, here, this is my command that's overarching, that's an umbrella above all things I've told you, and everything I've told you fits into this. Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. This overarching command to everything Jesus commands is love. It's not the only time Jesus does this. He does this in other parts of the Gospels when he says the law and the prophets hinge on these words. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says it all hinges on that. So there's this connection, and this is what I want us to get today. There's this connection between how we love people and the extent to which we will abide in Christ. We can desire so much to abide in Christ, but if we don't grow in our love for each other and for people, we will not grow into the depths of what it means to abide in Jesus. Maybe we'll say it this way. If abiding means aligning, then, then aligning means loving. If abiding means aligning, then aligning means loving. We were at our community group actually this week, and we're, our community group happens to be walking through Hebrews chapter 6, and there was something in there that led us towards asking the question, like, what's maturity? What does it mean to grow? Because the text was calling us to maturity and growth. And, and we were wrestling over that. And then someone just bursted out like, all it means, man, is just to love. That's all it means, just to love. And we're sitting there and it's true. We're just like, yeah, it's true. And then I'm, I often like to push back on people and say, well, well, what does that mean? You know, like I can, someone might tell me, love your wife. But what does it mean to love my wife? Love each other. Love the world. Love something. What does it mean? How do I unpack it? And I, I love the outburst because it's so, part of it is so true. If we, would, if we would figure out what it means to love, then so many other things would take care of themselves. But Jesus, he doesn't leave us without explaining a little bit. He says, love one another the way I have loved you. The way I have loved you. In other words, he says, this is what true love looks like. And then he goes on to say, there's no greater love than this. And he says, this is what true, true love looks like, to put your life on the line for a friend. That's what love is, to put your life 
on the line for your friends. We were, our family watched the movie Male- Maleficent. Anybody see Maleficent? And uh, so this fairy in some other part of the, uh, the kingdom, you know, was, uh, started off with a wonderful life, but something tragic happened to her, and she turned bitter. She turned really bitter, and she wanted to have revenge on the king in the kingdom. And uh, she just grew with revenge and grew with bitterness, and part of her revenge was to put a curse on the king's daughter, that the, that the king's daughter would go into an eternal sleep at the age of 16, and that nothing can go against the curse except love's true kiss, right? And, of course, Disney fairy tale. But the, but the beauty of what happens in this, and I, and I, I, I don't know why I started this, because I'm going to spoil the story for some people. Maybe I shouldn't tell you. But there's this just wonderful thing that happens in... <laughs> Okay, should I continue or should I just, what do you think? Yeah, okay. So anyways, there, it's, it, as, this, as her bitterness grows and her revenge and hatred for the king grows, and, and what happens is, is that she meets this little girl and she f- tracks with her as she grows. And this little girl ends up f- in, in such freedom joining, like coming into her land. And she's watching her grow and she's starting to care for her and take interest in, in her. And the amazing thing that happens is towards the end of the movie, you realize Maleficent will stop at nothing to save this girl. She will stop at nothing to save this girl. And when they thought, oh, what will true love's kiss be like? Then you, you, you see this grow in, this, in the movie that she starts to realize what love truly is, that she would put her life down on the line for somebody. When, when you think of Jesus, he says in such a much, you know, a broader way when you look at his life, Jesus loved in so many ways, but here's kind of three ways, like a three dimension of Jesus' love, and, and we'll try and simplify this, and it's just, I, I thought of it this way, and it's surrender, sacrifice, and suffering. If we just think about the love of Jesus, what he's done for people, what he's done for humanity, I kind of think about it in this way, surrender, sacrifice, and suffering. When you think about surrender, love requires surrender. Any amount of love requires surrender. When we love one another, we relinquish ourselves to the needs of others. No doubt about it. When you love something or someone, you relinquish part of yourself to love that person or that thing because you give something up. And it starts with those closest to you, but it moves to those around you. So when, in the simplest way, someone makes you a meal, someone invites you over for an evening, someone pays for your breakfast, they are surrendering part of themselves for you. That's what they're doing. When someone spends an hour listening to your pain and then spends another hour praying for you, they are putting you before them. They have given you an hour of their life or two hours of their life and they're relinquishing part of that for you. That's partly what love is. They could have done anything else with that time. They could have done anything else with that food when they had you over. They could have done anything else with their living room. They could have done anything else with their money or their home. But instead, in a small way, they surrendered that. They put that on the line, gave it up to serve someone, to love someone. They relinquished what they could have used for the sake of somebody else. And love starts in those small ways of surrender. Love is surrender. And then Jesus moves on to sacrifice. He says, there's no greater love than this, to put your life on the line for a friend. To put your life on the line for a friend. 
Giving up your living room is one thing, but giving up your life is another thing, right? And, and so, but Jesus, if we look at the model of Jesus, he sacrificed for others. Jesus here is likely pointing to the cross. I mean, these chapters in, of, that John 15 is in is all, is all about this farewell discourse. Jesus is saying goodbye, in a sense, to his, his disciples, his friends, and he's going towards, once he finishes this discussion, as you track through John, he gets arrested. He is led to the cross, and executed on a cross. So Jesus willingly, sacrificially, voluntarily goes to the cross for his disciples so that the whole world might be spared from a wasted life and a lost eternity. Jesus goes to the cross. He sacrifices himself. You know, th- this phrase can be abused. In World War I and II, they would often tell the soldiers and quote this verse and say, there's no greater love than this to give your life up for a friend. I think that's abusing the passage a bit. I don't think Jesus' words have, have much to do with just dying for a cause. I think Jesus, his sacrifice died. He died for people. He didn't enter a cause that killed people. And we, we struggle in our world today when we see people that will manipulate a scriptural text regardless of the religion and use it to hurt others and manipulate and that they will kill for their God or their prophet or something. And whether that's been these days with something like ISIS or when unfortunately some people in the church married the state too well and the crusades took place, Jesus' words have nothing to do with just merely dying for a cause when other people's lives are at stake. In fact, the word martyr in, in early church history is connected to the word witness. And the word witness doesn't mean to die. But the witnesses of Jesus ended up dying for Jesus. It, it wasn't like, I'm going to become a witness, let me sign up to die. I would gladly die for my wife, but I'm not looking for the opportunity, right? Like, if it happens, it's like, yes, I will die for her. But I'm not waking up in the morning and say, sign me up. Like, let me, show me. And the believers, as the church grew, what it meant to be a witness for Jesus was to exude the love and, and joy of Christ and to spread the gospel in that path. Under the oppression of the Roman Empire, many Christians did die. And so the word witness, the word martyr, became associated with death. But it was never a desire for death. It was sometimes just a result of them being a witness, and the word stuck. The early church, many died serving lepers in the Roman Empire. Today, many doctors will die serving people with Ebola. They're sacrificing their life. But here's the, the beauty of Jesus' love and what he's trying to get to us. The more generous our love, the, the deeper we abide with him. The more immersed we get into him. We, if we want to be cheap on love, then our abiding will be shallow. And you just, it just depends what we want. Do we want to be deeply immersed in Jesus and therefore love generously? Or do we just want like a baby pool, wet my feet, immersed in Jesus and love cheaply? And then the third aspect is suffering. When we love like Jesus, this is so important, and this is brief, but we cannot avoid the suffering in our world when we love Jesus or love like Jesus. We cannot avoid the suffering in our world. doesn't mean that we are going to be at every place in the world where there's suffering. That's impossible. We can't be everywhere at once. But we cannot avoid the suffering in our world, whether it's in our neighborhood, across the street, across the city, or if it's across the world, A disciple of Jesus, as he grows in Christ, grows in love, and as we choose to love and align ourselves with Christ, it's just impossible 
for us to ignore the suffering in our world. Jesus says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Sit with those who are hurting. And so when we surrender, when we sacrifice, when we're united with the suffering of others, then we begin to see and understand what it means to love like Jesus. I'm telling you, I'm not there yet. I, I, I don't know where I land on the scale of, you know, surrender, sacrifice, and sitting with the suffering of people. I, I don't, I, I'd be embarrassed if it was a, like 1 to 10. I don't know where I would be. But I, I know there's something in here that Jesus is calling me and calling us to. That when we love in these ways, we get more immersed in Jesus. And so alignment to Jesus is love. So before we said, well, abiding is aligning is loving. Well, let's flip it. Loving is aligning, and aligning leads to abiding. Eugene Peterson says, the way of Jesus is what gets us to the truth of Jesus. The way of Jesus is love. So let me close with this picture. I don't know if, I don't know if anybody here has ever seen this live, but um, I was reading and listening to an author named Mark Buchanan. He a, was a pastor, now professor in, out in Vancouver, B.C., and wrote a lot of great books. And uh, so he tells us of this, this, this visit he had to Bolivia. And uh, in one of the main towns there, Cocobamba. And there, there's this large 36-foot statue of Jesus. It's three feet bigger than the one in Brazil. I guess they wanted to beat them. And apparently, when you go visit this statue, and you can get to this place, you can actually climb inside the statue and slowly make your way up to the... Imagine you had a cell phone in your car, your mom, you're like, Mom, guess where I am? Where? I'm inside Jesus. Anyways, kind of be weird, but... And she might say, Oh, I've been praying for that all my life. But anyways... Um, so, so, here, so here's, imagine, so here Mark Buchanan tells his story as he gets to this huge statue and, and he's, you know, looking at it and then you can actually walk inside it. So as he's walking up the statue and the cool thing about the statue is that there's these peak holes in the statue. So there's these holes throughout and you might even be able to see even from here, you know, they're not bullet wounds, but they're, they're like these places where as you walk up, you can, you can look through, you know, and so you can look through Jesus. Think about that. You can look through Jesus. And Buchanan describes as he walks and climbs up the statue, he's kind of at the chest of Jesus, and he moves off to a certain side, and he, there's a hole there, and it's roughly where a person's heart would be. And he looks through that hole, and it's almost like that hole helps him focus to the center of the city that's beneath them. And he just describes this moment Right away, it's just something comes to him, and he's like, I wonder what it would feel like if I would see my city through the heart of Jesus. So maybe ask, as we think about this today, how would you look at your city, your neighborhood, through the heart of Jesus? If, if, if you had this perspective every moment of the day, and you were looking at your kids through the heart of Jesus... You were looking at your neighbors through the heart of Jesus. You were looking at some friends of yours through the heart of Jesus. Your co-workers through the heart of Jesus. How would you see them? Jesus says, my command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Just stop a second and think, if I was looking through the heart of Jesus, how would I see my enemies? How would I see those who persecute me that Jesus invites us to bless and pray for? 
How would I see those who I think are so different from me? How would I see them through the heart of Jesus? Just imagine you and I could have this perspective all the time. His attitude, his love. And then play that out into action. Play that out into life. And Jesus repeats in verse 17 at the end of this short moment in this longer discussion, he says, but remember this, but remember this, love one another. And so aligning, abiding is aligning, is loving. And as we flip it, loving is aligning, is abiding. Abiding in Jesus leads to aligning with Jesus. Aligning with Jesus is keeping his commandments. His ultimate command is to love. And as you love, as you start from those closest to you and in your church and in your neighborhood and even to the worst of what we perceive as enemies, Jesus promises that as we love like this, as we keep his command in this way, we will experience such a closeness to him that we cannot experience in other ways. There's a beautiful closeness that grows when we live the way of Jesus and we live the way of love. How do you see the world? through the heart of Jesus. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Last week I invited you to, to just pray this prayer every day. The simple prayer was the, the first top of the line here. It says, you know, Jesus, wake me up to your presence. Because we asked the question, how big is Jesus? And so last week, we just, that first, first top, Jesus, wake me up to your presence. And I don't know if you prayed it this last week. I would encourage you just to think about that. And there was only, I'll be honest, only two mornings I woke up and I remembered. <laughs> and so, but there's something about Praying that prayer, Jesus, wake me up to your presence. But, but then there's that second part of the prayer, which I think we can add. After we say, Jesus, wake me up to your presence, why don't we also say, Jesus, immerse me in your love. Jesus, immerse me in your love. Help me to love like you. Let's pray that as we close today. Father, wow, we're so grateful that your son has just given us a beautiful example of how he is. Jesus has just declared, confessed how he aligns himself with you and remains in your love. And he's inviting us to experience what he experiences. God, this invitation to abide in your love as we align ourselves with the teachings of Christ. God, first off, we ask, Lord, wake us up to your presence. Wake us up to the presence of Jesus every day. May we see that he's the bigger circle. And, the, and hear the invitation to abide in him, to live in him. And God, as we've just wrestled with what it means to keep his commands and this overarching command of loving each other as he has loved us, Lord, we also pray, immerse us in your love. And God, by, by your grace, by the power of your spirit, Lord, give us such a beautiful vision of Jesus that it will be such a joy to surrender to him and follow him and call him Lord and align ourselves with him. And God, may we experience as we love like Jesus and surrender in sacrifice as we suffer with others and sit in their suffering, may we experience the beautiful closeness of relationship that is only possible when we follow him and align ourselves in that way. God, we long for that. So give us the grace to walk that path, the way of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.